That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What say you, Richard Ellick Murdoch? Are you guilty or not guilty of the felonies wherein you stand and die? Not guilty. How shall you be tried? By God and my country. The exact time when Paul and Maggie Murdoch were murdered. At the end of the investigation, it was obvious. I'm not here to work with them. Okay. And the whole point is to have this not fall into the wrong hands. This case is unique, it's unprecedented in South Carolina history. Welcome to Unsolved South Carolina, The Murdochs, Murders, Money, and Mystery. I'm Ann Emerson, and I'm joined with our exclusive legal analyst, former South Carolina Attorney General Charlie Condon, and our executive producer, Drew Tripp. Thank you for joining us. We are discussing in what's about to occur over the next couple of weeks, which is the new uh, filings that have come through as we head toward this evidentiary hearing based on the jury tampering allegations involving Colleton County Clerk Becky Hill. These are allegations and what is going to happen with this retrial hearing. Now, what we know right now is that both the defense and the state have had an opportunity mm -hmm. to file their pretrial briefs. We have a status conference hearing coming up on January 16th, just a couple of weeks away. And then of course, uh, the actual retrial hearing has been scheduled by the Supreme Court Justice Jean Toll, and that is supposed to be happening January 29th through the 31st. So right now we have some big legal questions to, to get answered today. And I'm just gonna kick it off with the first thing that you know Drew and I have been going over all of this information. I know that you have been looking over these briefs as well, Charlie. And one thing that really stood out to us was a, a serious um, discrepancy between these two briefs in what the defense believes is the basis of this evidentiary hearing and these jury tempering allegations and what the state is saying. And to the point that the state is still arguing, why are we having this evidentiary hearing? really set the table, I think, uh, for uh, how, how important, how, I guess, contentious probably is not the right word, but uh, how, how high the stakes are coming up as we go into this hearing. Um, I, that's just my takeaway because we've got some, again, to Anne's point, we've got uh, some really serious, uh, heavy-duty legal uh, issues to work out, do we not, Charlie? Oh, it, I, I think it's unprecedented. I think this is something that our Supreme Court at some point is going to review what the standard is in this situation. And to um, talk about the opposing views, the state wants it to be state versus green. That's their case, in which the, um, there's basically sort of a, a harmless error analysis by, by the court there that 
It was a bailiff who who asked who was asked about what happens if we're deadlocked, and he talked about what it's called an Allen charge, called a dynamite charge. If you'll get one of those, and and that that will be the judge's uh, uh, charge to you. Shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. Court said harmless error didn't affect the verdict. That's the state's position. The defense's position, which I must say, if you not to predict anything here because this been unpredictable in the Murdoch case, but it does seem as if what they're saying applies more readily to our current situation, which is State versus Cameron. In State versus Cameron, old statute uh, for entering a bank with intent to steal, the jury could decide guilty, not guilty. If guilty, do you give mercy or not mercy? And if you give mercy, it's less than uh, the maximum sentence, which I think, as I recall, was life. Very important. So the bailiff entered the fray on that. What happens? Uh, tell, tell, tell me about this. This, this the, the juror asked, and the bailiff opined on it. And the court ruled that that entered the sanctity of the jury. They could have been confused. New trial. So what standard does justice toll apply? Uh, that will be the key, and I suspect she may talk about that at the first uh, meeting that we have on the 16th. She may not. She may hold back on that. But both sides are fighting tooth and nail because I do think that the standard uh, potentially will dictate the result. So just to be clear, what, what we're looking at is the defense is saying that uh, that all that was necessary, and, and, and correct me anywhere mm -hmm. along this, all that was necessary was this improper contact by this court official, uh, Clark Hill, allegedly to the jury, which they're, they're saying these jury tampering allegations that she had uh, referred to body language, according to these sworn affidavit from, from a juror. So we're looking at this sort of improper contact. They're saying that's all you need, right? That's what Cameron is. Well, because the kind of contact from the elected court official, the, the clerk, enters into the sanctity of the jury. The, the, it does, you don't have to show that it would change the verdict. You have, to, you have to show that the contact occurred and it was in this really important sanctity of jury type, type language that the State versus Cameron used. And I must say, having read these cases, it's confusing. You can pick out little snippets here and there. And both sides have done that, I think, very uh, well. And in picking out the different reasoning there, I think Justice Toll has a really important job here on deciding mm -hmm. like what standard am I going to apply? I suspect knowing her she's going to announce that at some point I'm going to apply this standard after hearing arguments but it's the key moment because I do think if it's under the, 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 the stricter Cameron standard as I call it if you think about what happened here it just seems like gosh if, if they can prove that the elected clerk of court started to give this sort of commentary to jurors before they deliberated, it does seem like it enters into the sanctity of our system. On the other hand, in the state's position, wait a minute, we've got so much evidence against this dude, it, it, it didn't take him very long to reach a verdict. All the jurors will say that it didn't impact them at all. So state versus green, this is not that big a deal. It's, it's not good. We're not here to defend Becky Hill, but it, you should uphold this verdict because all of them say that they would reach the same verdict uh, and, and the, the activity of the clerk didn't affect me. So which way do you go? So that's, so that's it. So that's the, the state is saying there's two, two layers here that, that Justice Toll is going to have to like kind of sift through. So there are two layers, as opposed to the defense's one layer, there are two layers is improper contact 
and did it affect or bias or prejudice this verdict? And one thing, I was fascinated. Apparently there had been some real discussions at the conference that they had by telephone because it looks like a lot of the ground rules were set with this discovery business going Mm -hmm. back, meaning what information is going to be shared. And it seemed like where they're headed is that Justice Newman, and Judge Newman may testify in camera, Mm -hmm. jurors in in camera, by the way, that means in private, in in the chambers, press won't be there. Uh, I think in camera from Latin translates in chambers. So it's in chambers with the judge, it's all private. And they're setting that up. Both both sides seem to be agreeable to that if we go that far. The state doesn't want to, but Mm -hmm. I think we're headed that way. But what they definitely want to do, the defense does, they want to put Clerk Hill front and center and they want to be able to go through all of the attacks possible on her credibility, which mm-hmm. unfortunately there are many now, so that they're going to say that she's not believable and juror 630 is. And if you look at what she said to 630 as the juror testifies to, that that gets into the Cameron territory. So what Justice Till may well do is let the fray occur let it all see how it shifts out, see how it strikes her, and then maybe have language as to the standard. I don't know how she may handle it, but that would be another approach to wait to all of it and then announce her decision. Probably, knowing her, it's probably not going to be announced the day of. It'll probably be a written order released a week or two later. Okay. That's be done really that interesting. Way. I didn't even think about that. Of course, we're still waiting for this verdict to come out again or something. Mm-hmm. And why would why would she do that when she can take as much time as she wants to, she to think about that? That's kind of the and to what Charlie was just referencing. That's kind of the point I want to take off with it is we're just slightly ahead of our skis a little bit on a couple of issues, which is one, the, the states argue it comes down to this proving that there was actual improper contact. contact. And I, I think from the defense's position, from Murdoch's position, they are gung-ho, adamant, fully bought in. Yes, there was improper contact. And the state is still trying to push the brakes on this a little bit and raise questions. And the state is saying in its filing this week, uh, in its brief this week, essentially that you need to prove that this actually occurred because a lot of what they're they're still banking on hearsay and, uh, you know, credibility of the people Murdoch spoke to and the jurors that they spoke to and pointing out things like, as you mentioned, Charlie, that none of the jurors polled either by SLED for the state or by the defense counsel, none so far have actually said that anything Becky Hill did impacted the way that they, the way that they, voted essentially impacted their verdict whether or not they found Murdoch guilty so to dive into that you still have the state saying that they are not convinced there was actually any improper contact and Murdoch saying of course there was like just listen to it and that comes again to this is us trying to weed through a lot of the Again, uh, uh, cut through a lot of the noise as far as that goes to what has actually been alleged based on what, what are the accusations that have any seeming meat to them. And we've gone over this plenty of times, but that is that it seems to be the commentary that Becky is accused of making regarding paying close attention to Murdoch and uh, potentially watching his body language. Mm. 
So, and I do need to make a quick self-correction here. Um, I believe in a few prior episodes I've said that there were three additional jurors that the state itself interviewed that corroborated what juror 630 told the defense, and that was mistaken. There were two additional jurors who specifically mentioned, hmm. if you go and look at the state's filing from back in, it's either late October or November, but the state's long, in-depth uh, filing they made opposing the motion for a retrial hearing in the first place. They had this table and a graph in there and it, they had their questions. Did Becky Hill say anything to you about evidence? Did you see Becky having any one-on-one -on -one conversations with an individual juror? And to, for the 10 jurors that, for the 10 jurors that the state interviewed, uh, juror 630 excluded and another juror, I can't remember the number, was also was not also unavailable for the state to interview in that, but they interviewed the 10 remaining jurors who actually deliberated on the verdict. And two of them said, no, Becky didn't comment on the evidence, but I do remember her saying something about body language or watches movements, which speaks mm -hmm. directly to what juror 630 said, right? right? So you have a, a cohesion there between three jurors, two interviewed by the, two interviewed by the state, one interviewed by Murdoch and company. And then you had a fourth saying, no, I don't remember that, but she just told us generally to pay attention. Uh, and and the one of those two who said they recalled body language commentary said the same thing. Yes, yeah, she told us generally just to kind of pay attention. And then there was a fourth who said, again, pay attention. Uh, and, but they specifically said that they did not hear any body language comments, but just more of a general pay attention. Mm. So that seems to be, and I, I, we could be, well, we're not, we're not could be, we are. We're, we're kind of editorializing a little bit to cut through what the state, or not, I'm sorry, excuse me, what the defense is certainly going to try to do is all this other stuff that they put out there mm -hmm. about potential improper contact that is a little, it, it just kind of, in my opinion, dubious, uh, very hard to, hard to prove and what, it, like, it, it speaks more to what you got into a moment ago, Charlie, about they want to impeach Becky Hill just in general, rake up all the, the mud. Yeah, that they've said, yeah, that's you know, a good point because in looking at the defense brief, obviously juror 630 is the centerpiece of their position. They feel like they've got, that, that's gonna be proven. Mm -hmm. Becky has at least to some degree denied it in an affidavit. So what they've set up, I think quite nicely in their brief, we'll see if Justice Toll goes along with it, is all right, 6.30 comes forward in camera, in private. That juror says whatever uh, is going to be said. And, all right, only way to disprove that or say it didn't happen is Becky Hill. And they've asked that the court put her front and center, not in camera, meaning not in private, mm -hmm. but in public. Right. And they believe that all of the misdeeds that she's been accused of since the trial go to her credibility. Mm -hmm. And they should be allowed to go into that completely because her credibility is the key issue at this evidentiary hearing. I think they have the winning argument there. So I think Clark Hill is just, wow, talk about being on the hot seat. And so I do think she's got some Fifth Amendment issues she needs to address with her attorney. Well, she's, just to be clear about what these other charges are looking like, we have a public corruption investigation into Hill over the stolen money, um, claims of stolen money. You've got uh, illegally sold access to the courthouse allegations. You have conspiracy with her son to conduct illegal wiretap allegations and 
plagiarism charges in her memoir in the trial. Those were just some of the things that I was listing out that you can read more about from all of the writing that we have online um, from Drew's articles uh, from abcnews4.com. You know, these are just some of the allegations, charges, none of it's been proven in a right. court of law. These are just, these are things that have, that speak to Hill's credibility, but but to that point, these are not things. These, you know, all of that that I was just talking about. These are coming out of ethics complaints that have not been fully vetted. They're they're coming out of um, now the plagiarism charges. She actually came forward and admitted. And, and admitted. So that that's different. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's not illegal, right? No, that's, but that's good uh, credibility. But it, it goes, goes to towards honesty, your credibility. And I do think that. Um, wow. I mean. Ooh, I mean, I think about since the verdict until now, how many months has it been? How um, many? Nine. Yeah. And so in this short, within a year, you've got all these things swirling around about her right. that do go to, I think, credibility issues. Is she to be believed when she says she didn't do it? And so I do think it's very likely Justice Toll will let them go into it to a large degree. They may be forced to sort of what I call take the answer under evidentiary rules. If she uh, denies it, they may not be able to go into proving that she did in fact do it through these collateral matters because it gets too far afield. I think she may have the ability to limit it that way, but I think we're looking at a pretty tough day for her if she testifies. Well, you know what that reminds me of is the trial within the trial that we dealt with with Alec Murdoch. No question. No it's question. this, you know, we went through this entire thing with Judge Newman was uh, the financials. No question. And should the financials be included? And was that, did that speak to the credibility of Alec Murdoch? And here we are in another situation with Becky Hill, and now we're looking at all these claims that have not been proven. Right. Um, they, they have not gone up, you know, she's not been charged with these nothing, crimes. Nothing. Yeah, right. um, so, you know, it's just, uh, it's fascinating that mm -hmm. now we're looking at this trial within a trial, within a hearing, within a hearing. I know, and if you're representing Becky Hill, she's got, I think, Justin Tamberg, Bamberg representing, Bamberg, and yeah. also somebody, another criminal, is a criminal defense lawyer out of Columbia, I believe, representing. Will Lewis, I believe is his name. Yeah, and so what, how do you advise her? Well, Does then, she try and take and another the, lawyer that's uh, that's overseeing her um, her ethics complaints as mm -hmm. well? Yeah. Does she try? Does she try to take the Fifth Amendment? They take the position she can't take it. I believe that she will be able to if she wants to, and that may be a wise move for her at this point. What does constitute taking the Fifth Amendment? When can you say no? Is there a way to literally force a person to speak? In if court? you give them immunity, in other words, if you have the ability <coughs> to. To, to say, you know, I could be prosecuted for this. The, the, the challenge is going to be, all right, there, there are potential state law violations and maybe potential federal law violations. I don't know off the top of my head what those might be. So you'd have to get agreements from both. But, you know, she, she um, that's a tough call, I would think. Because if, if she does take it, I think juror 630 wins the day. And does the state really want her to do that, right? I mean, to, 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 for her to, to take the fifth. I know they're, I'm sure they're working with her in some degree because it's a key witness for the state. So I'm sure there's lots of communications going on that would be fascinating as to what she can and can't testify to or will testify to when the hearing comes up. It's a, it's a lot of, this is really, from a, from a legal standpoint, it, it, there's so many important, fascinating legal issues and questions that are going to be addressed as we go through this. And we probably won't hear the end of it relative to how it all turns out because both sides 
whether it can be an interlocutory appeal, meaning appeal right away, or they have to wait until uh, there's, there's a new trial and verdict. I don't know. Uh, I think they're allowed to do interlocutory. I'd have to look that up. But there's, as we all talked about here before, I do think as, as we've come to this, this is a central key part of the Murdoch saga. Does the verdict hold? And if it doesn't hold, I think the state has some real challenges on a retrial. I'd really like to talk a little bit about uh, Becky Hill's character. We need to kind of figure out what is going to be allowed by Justice Toll to talk about. You know, so much has happened, and they even bring it up in the brief, don't they, Charlie? They well, talk yeah. about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let me read this because this is their position from the defense. Anything that impeaches Miss Hill is relevant. And the state's rhetoric about Miss Hill being a dedicated public servant, unfairly maligned, has not aged well in the two months since the, st since the state filed its response. To put it mildly, Miss Hill is alleged to have stolen money, illegally sold access to the courthouse, conspired with her son to conduct illegal wiretaps, and even had her book removed from publication because of her plagiarism. It's a lot. It's a what? And it has not even been a year since this verdict came down, as you said. I mean, this is, this is a lot. And Charlie, it, something you said a moment ago, when we start talking about credibility, you said, I think juror 630 might win the day there based on what's, what's there so far. And it, in my mind, where I went was, okay, well, how can, how can the state rebut that? How can they, how can they impugn Juror 630's character, and so far they haven't tried to. Um, all they've done, it really is say, we think there's a good chance that maybe Juror 630, and and I guess they would have to apply the same standard to the ones that SLED interviewed, the two the two additional jurors who SLED interviewed who said they thought they also remembered stuff about watch the body language, don't be, uh, well, they didn't, Juror 630 right. is one, one of the ones who said don't be, she recalls hearing don't be fooled. Well, if, you, if we're going to, try and take that and if we're going to do anything at all to try and get into the credibility of 630 that opens up a new can of worms because as the state pointed out in its brief uh, this week and this has been out there previously there is a landlord tenant relationship between juror 630 who uh, as we've kind of described it the star witness for the star witness for the defense, the defense yeah. There's a the the egg lady, the so-called egg lady juror, juror seven eight five, who was removed from the jury at the eleventh hour, right before they were start to, were closing arguments and going into deliberations. Juror seven eight five was removed. Juror seven eight five was the landlord to juror six thirty, and there's so that immediately with the state pointing that out, that that suggests. Oh, maybe there's, you know, there's some sort of like maybe there's a motivation there with juror 630 to look out for her landlord or I mean, could she what if she doesn't stick up for her landlord? And does that mean you can do all sorts of speculating on what that means and what that relationship and why she would be motivated to say what that say what she said in support of the really, really salacious and scandalous things that juror 785 said, which Again, said to the next point, the state, while mentioning Juror 785 and Juror 630's relationship, the state at the same time has moved to strike, suppress anything related to Juror 785 and the Facebook controversy, the apparently mm -hmm. made, up, uh, made up drama over a, 
uh, somebody who was mistakenly identified as the juror's spouse, uh, ex-spouse, and that gets into a whole other issue that we've got to talk about is uh, like what, how restrictive the state wants this hearing to be while still out of one side of their mouth saying they don't, there shouldn't be a hearing at all because the defense has made, hasn't failed to prove that there was actually right. improper mm-hmm. contact, mm-hmm. Um, which again, we covered that a little bit. It's, that's yeah. kind of a moot point. This ship has sailed. There's going to be a hearing. But it, the, the whole restriction of the scope and the limitation of the questioning, that's, a, that's another interesting one. And then, well, they, they're saying they only want two questions, right? right. They, want, uh-huh. they want to know, was your verdict guilty mm-hmm. and, to the jurors? And was the uh, verdict, uh, your verdict based on the evidence, what you heard in court, you know, what happened right. in this trial? Uh, as opposed to anything, I, I think, basically implying that, was there anything else that, that could have given you that verdict? Right, exactly. Um, so those are the only two questions that the you state wants, right? right? Mm-hmm. But One and two. They propose that. Exactly. Well, how, how, well, what, that, what are the chances the, That's the grain standard. That? Uh, you know, I think if, I, I suspect what Justice Tove will do is instead of buying into that right away, because that, presupposes she's applying this green standard, just very limited, hey, uh, did it affect your verdict or not, basically. My, my suspicions are given the fact that we have three days, right, mm-hmm. with a court order and how the press is to be aligned and pool, and I don't believe you do all that unless you intend to hear lots of witnesses, wouldn't you think? That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Which means we could be sitting in an empty courtroom a lot of the time. Huh? I think a lot of the, we will. I think a lot of times they'll be back in chambers with these jurors and potentially Judge Newman. We might see him come in. And there. what are they going to ask Judge Newman? What, I'm fascinated what is by the, that too. Yeah. What I, is the I, point I don't know. Of that? I thought that was interesting because it, 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 he did obviously have lots of interplay with the clerk, mm-hmm. lots, and that's typical. Nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think the egg lady information that we talked about, I think that's probably not going to be that relevant in this. To me, that's a bit, a bit far afield. So whether or not he gets into or is, is questioned as to anything relative to improper juror conduct, I don't know. That was fine. But it's clear in their brief that he may be a witness. Well, and the thing I, I wonder about, too, is is this Justice Toll's opportunity here to hear the jurors firsthand, look them in the eye, let them use their voices? Because, you know, we all know that when you text somebody or email somebody, it feels very different than when you actually That's a really discuss good point. it. Yeah, one with, thing I did think about this, too, is if you start thinking about what they're accusing Clerk Hill of doing, I'm trying to it would be important for me to, to have the context of that. Did she go walking in there at a key moment during the trial? Because they do want to have the transcript as part of the, uh, the exhibits here. And so when did she have to talk about watch the body language? Mm-hmm. And how did she do that? I mean, we were all there. Right. And so to, to, to go back to that room, did she just march back in there and walk in there? And that, to me, is really important, the actual setting. That's a really good point. And that, again, uh, 
the state continues to try to make that point is that they they have produced the sworn statements of ten of the other ten of the twelve deliberating jurors, um, eight of whom are adamant that uh, well it's not even it's not even eight it's it's all ten that they talked to said no she didn't say anything Nothing. about the evidence right. she didn't say anything to us about right. evidence she didn't comment on the evidence but it, what what gets tricky there is potential comments about telling them a specific thing to look out for like body language when it does align so closely with what the what the state was arguing in open court and this Creighton Waters is and he's making the points in these briefs he's like yeah that's something I said and one of the actual jurors that they interviewed said yeah Creighton Waters said that she didn't say that uh, Becky didn't say that to us we, Creighton said um, Creighton said body language pay attention to his movements watch him closely it's this whole nexus of okay are they misremembering or are they mis 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 right. misattributing that right. but and then when you have two additional jurors who feel like no I remember Something right. about Becky saying that. Yeah. Is it now that uh, it just Passing makes the... comment or was it Well, and that's... So accidental it's the contextual nature of this, right? right, right. So maybe that's mm -hmm. what we're getting to the heart of is that, that these jurors are going to get an opportunity to, to say, wait a minute, I know that's what they wrote down in the SLED interview, but this is what I want to explain. Like, she walked in after, you know, or however, however they want to explain it. Um, I think that's going to be super important mm -hmm. for for this part of the hearing. And of course, we're all going to be in the dark, aren't yeah. we, for a little yeah. while. Yeah. Didn't you think the other curious thing about the, uh, the I guess it's the defense uh, filing about uh, Becky sending emails to the prosecutor? Did you catch uh -huh. that part? Yeah. And to law enforcement. Yeah, commenting witnesses. on witnesses. Right, defense witnesses. Is that right? That's that highly you unusual. I don't. Yeah. I've just, that's just you, you just not something that's not done, right? I mean, so, why yeah. would she do that? Uh, who knows? I, I mean, uh, uh, other than a gross uh, level of comfort that was I inappropriate, I, I, I mean, I, it'd be one thing if she was sending it to everyone, right? If she got an, if she got an email about a concern, something going on in the courtroom, and she sent it to the judge, she sent it to the state, she sent it to the prosecution, Hey, I got this. Wanted to make you make sure all of you were aware in case it was something that you feel like needs to be addressed. But and this goes back to the trove of emails. Uh, if you've not been keeping up with that, uh, the, the, the FOIA the FOIA release that we got over the emails. that we got over the holidays. Um, uh, but some of those, some of which were also exemplified in there. Of Becky would receive um, Becky would receive emails. And she would forward them. One of them was commenting on the defense's expert witness. It was a weapons expert. That's I, that's one I specifically remember reading from the email for the FOIA emails yeah. from Colleton County. Uh, it, a, a weapons expert, a, some a military veteran, was like, eh, "That guy that the defense put on the stand, he's he's glossing over. He's not, you know." Yeah. And then she forwards that to the prosecution. To to Creighton Waters' email yeah. address during or, the trial. Yes. It, it sounds like she's just really taking sides, right? I mean, yeah, it does. Supposed to do that? And, and and that gets. Uh, I mean, mm. we're gonna have. They're gonna have to litigate all that, and it, and I, I think it really speaks to. It, it comes back to one of the central issues that is still at play, which is between the state and the defense. Uh, the defense is arguing 
based on one of the standards, I'm not sure if it was, I, I believe it was Rimmer, that they were, uh, the Rimmer case, they were arguing the fact that a court official had any contact whatsoever, and, and throw out whether or not, because we're going to litigate that too, we're going we're gonna to try to get to the bottom of that, in court, did she have improper contact with the jury uh, outside of the scope of her official duties as the clerk of court and the jury manager, uh, which would mean just taking care of their everyday needs and making sure that they're adhering to court rules and that, that stuff. Did she, have Im, uh, did she have improper communications outside of that scope that's outlined in her official duties? Once that's settled, which I think it's, again, that ship has sailed, they have to say, okay, was there, did it result in prejudice? Did it result in bias to the jury? And the defense, Harputley and Griffin, they're, they're, they're going all the way and saying, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it, it, because there's case law right, precedent. It, Cameron it, case. It, right. it, it doesn't matter. Any improper contact necessarily biases the jury. It prejudices the jury, and we, need, we have to have a retrial. It's a that's, fair trial. Th like, that's have got to have a fair trial. That's, that's their argument. Yeah. Now, the state is still... No, uh, we, we need, and then there, here comes the defense coming back, said, okay, well, guess what? Not only, <laughs> not only now, if you, if we want to, if we apply that standard, the ball now shifts to your court. We think it's the state's now, it's now the state's responsibility to prove that there was no bias. Usually it works the other way, right? You, the one who's making the accusation right. has to make, uh, bring the proof and, and just in mm -hmm. general logic games, if I accuse you of something, I've got to come with the evidence. It, part of, uh, Jim and Dick's filing this week was like, you know what? You have to prove that there wasn't uh, jury bias and jury uh, jury prejudice. Uh, Based now. on these sworn affidavits yes. of what they said. Um, yeah. okay. And that, that's still something else that Justice Toll is going to have to. Yeah, and I think a fair reading of these cases is that both sides have support for their positions. Mm -hmm. And okay. she'll have to sort that one out um, as to what the standard is. That, to me, is going to be the central, probably the central ruling, ironically, in all of the Murdoch sagas. Her ruling on what the standard is. Well, uh, well and super here. The, you know, the other thing is that I think we could be looking at more bombshells coming out of this as well. I mean, Good now point. that we've talked about the nuances, we've mm -hmm. talked about like, you know, maybe what's being read in these, you know, uh, interviews, maybe there's more to it contextually. Um, there is an opportunity, this is my question actually, is there an opportunity for the defense to? give them more ammunition. Good point. Is there stuff they could be holding back? A few cards we haven't yeah. seen. Obviously what's happened here is there's an agreement on discovery and there's this very elaborate protective order. So all of the information that the state has gleaned relative to possible jury tampering, they're giving to the defense. They've asked the court to rule that the defense do likewise. I haven't heard a ruling on that in these pleadings. But even as we speak, I'm sure both sides are fast and furious, running down leads, checking things. So you're right. There could well be some very important new developments before we actually have a hearing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just sitting here thinking how much of what we have said here today and how much of what we've uh, postulated and speculated and tried to suss out in our own brains, how much of what we've said here and ground covered is going to be just blown out of the water, irrelevant, completely landscape shifted in a month in a month's time after these hearings and everything that comes out, and, and what what new is out there? Um, Another yeah. thing that's fascinating too, how Justice Toll has now everything's in Richland County, which mm -hmm. to those that unfamiliar, that's the 
Columbia is the capital of South Carolina. That county is Richland. Uh, this trial had been in Colleton County, which is towards the coast of South Carolina in Colleton. And she has ruled that all the filings and everything be housed in Columbia with the Supreme Court. Everything's been moved out. And that so was. the clerk is not involved with, with really anything as we go forward here at this point. Necessary, I, I think very much, I mean, if you're trying to keep, keep proper, uh, if you're trying to be proper and ethical, I think that was very much necessary. I do want a small correction because I had to correct myself there. That was just, that was Chief Justice Beatty who ordered that, not told oh, herself. I, I, I got that wrong too and had to go back. Uh, someone pointed out to me that I didn't, you know, I didn't read all the way to the end of the, oh, <laughs> the actual line to see who signed, signed it. it and she didn't yeah, sign it. Yeah, he signed it. It was from, from him saying that all of the, and this, what we're talking about here is the, the case management, basically. Um, it, it is, if you'll, the reason we had the murder trial in Colleton County um, is because that's where the, that's where the murders happen. Uh, Colleton County, South Carolina, therefore it is the, court system, right, the, the general, right. that's right. what the venue works supposed right. to, and now that. <sighs> yeah, and she picked, you know, what I thought was, as I recall, the order giving her authority in this case gave her sort of a carte blanche. Yeah. She decided she's a Columbia person, AGs are Columbia people, mm -hmm. the defense are Columbia people. Alec, I guess, is a different he's, county. He's <laughs> in a different <laughs> county. The jurors are in a different county, yeah, too, so which is, I, I thought that that was going to play a big role as, as to where they wanted to do this, because mm. the jurors are going to have to travel, travel right. yeah. to, to do this. But I guess if they're going to keep it within three days, it's a reasonable amount of time. And it's not that far, right? Right. I mean, to get from Walterboro to, how far is Walterboro to? Uh, you can reasonably make it in an hour and a half if yeah. you're driving the speed right. limit. Yeah. Um, it's a very so convenient take, for take, the back, take the back way up through Orangeburg and uh, up 21 and you're there in no time. Um, I, I'm does this mean they have everything? Sorry, does this mean that it, going forward, everything has to stay in Richland County now? Like a, a retrial, if we have a retrial? Oh, no, 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 I think, I think no. constitutionally okay. he'd be entitled to the county as venue, I believe. So that would be another issue, but I just thought for, the, for, for right now. For the uh, evidentiary yeah, here. Yeah, that's what's the, going on here. Again, this is the case management, a lot of the case management itself. And yes, they're obviously having these hearings up there, but the, the case management is running through now through the Supreme Court. The Supreme That's Court's actually a good clerk. Point. If there is a well, we, we're, we're ahead of ourselves, right? If there's a retrial, I'm assuming they won't have the clerk of the Supreme Court down Walterboro, but might be. That might yeah, be the way it works they, out. Yeah, we're so far afield ahead of ourselves. Uh, I know, <laughs> of course, with that but, potential but that retrial. yeah. I mean, you know, we've just gotten thrown so many curveballs. I mean, I'm not surprised. We probably have some level of like, <laughs> every time we, every time we turn around, there has been at least one more development in in this case that we just you couldn't expect. It oh, to no, I'm, I know. Uh, and even today, uh, the the emails issue is still ongoing, um, and the the corruption probe involving Becky. There's right. still there's still a lot to go forward there, um, and I can ex I can re report expand on something that um, just to kind of pick up where we left off the last time that we were all together. I was saying that I was re had been reli reliably informed based on developments in that investigation into the public corruption probe that at some point after Colleton County officials had dis immediately after. Colleton County officials discovered there was wiretapping going on involving Becky Hill's son, Jeff Hill, the county's director of technology. Immediately after that, 
Becky, Becky's phone, her phone line basically was taken off the county's taxpayer funded phone plan. Uh, it was transferred, like her phone number was taken off and put back into her control. Um, since then, I have learned that when her phone was subpoenaed, seized, uh, search warranted, I, I don't know exactly the, the, the best way to phrase that, but more or less when investigators, state investigators looking into the wiretapping and public corruption allegations against her son, Jeff Hill, I also reported that they took Becky's phone. Well, I'm told the phone that ended up in Sled's hands was not the phone that Becky had been using to conduct county business, which is just a whole like level of whoa. So there's that speaks to okay something something stinks in the state of Denmark uh, to poorly quote <laughs> Shakespeare there. <laughs> right, right. Um, I, it, that again, really, it was the wrong phone. It wasn't, it wasn't the, in the investigators know it was the wrong phone. Adding on to that, Fitz News today, uh, Wolf Oaks, the, the publisher of that online uh, news outlet and commentary outlet, they published a pretty extensive report expanding on that today uh, that confirms not only what I'm saying there about it, they, she turned in the wrong phone, they go on to say the same thing happened with Jeff Hill with his phone. Um, and it, it's pretty, it, they're, they're sort of painting the picture for a, a potential obstruction charges in the corruption probe involving Jeff and Becky Hill to the point that uh, they, there's belief that the phones weren't not just, they didn't just disappear, they were destroyed um, that they were originally using. Right. And that's uh, citing Fitz News on that. Uh, so it, it's, it's, by the yeah. way, I, sh I should mention, because I was intrigued by the, the wiretapping charge, because when I think of wiretapping, I think of, you know, somebody tapping into a phone line and listening on the head. I actually looked at that statute, and it's, I think it's called the Homeland Security Act. It's a very broad-based statute that mm -hmm. was passed, uh, I guess, a few years ago. But it does list within their prohibitive acts, which would be, I guess, uh, which could be covered by it, which apparently they're alleging, that he, in effect, used his position to, to intercept Phone communications, as I recall. Yeah, not just phone emails. And, I'm sorry, emails. That, that oh. would be covered by the act. So he so, would just be able to tap into their email system yeah, and be able to read whatever's going on. He was, he was, going on. He was the technology director. So when you go through his computer, can you see like, can you see the emails that he's that he allegedly uh, confiscated or there or would intercepted? A, would you would, be able to see it like yeah. you like the way we FOIAed for the 2,100 emails? We would be able to see what Jeff Hill was. Emailing, yeah. I guess that's already with SLED. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's the same, the digital footprint. Uh, everything you do in a digital ecosystem leaves a trail, a, a digital, a, a digital, a digital, a digital paper trail. Uh, like they, you can take anything away from this. <laughs> take that. You can, you can, you know, try to try to cover your tracks to, to an extent and you can, uh, you know, reset devices and try and wipe data, but as far as servers uh, that are out there, there's going to be some record of what you did at what time and the metadata. And we, God, we got into all of that during the Murdoch trial. 
right, with right. the phones and the, the how your phones aren't just tracking you, they're tracking movements, this thing, that thing, over here, over drug. there. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's everything is logged for a period of time uh, with, with digital devices and they can retrace your steps. But uh, when you have when you have access to something like that, you can do some pretty, uh, if you aren't, if you're not um, scrupulous, you can do some pretty nefarious things when you have access to stuff like that, which is, I think, what we're getting at the heart of with these wiretapping allegations. Uh, so uh, more to come on yeah. that that we'll see in the meantime. I don't know when that's going to happen, but we uh, undoubtedly it'll be at Friday on a 3 o'clock, uh, Friday <laughs> afternoon at 3 o'clock. Um, we're about ready to go home and call it a week. Um, so that's where we stand right now. We've mm -hmm. got a lot um, to think about. Uh, we may have a few more briefs, right? As you were saying, they need to make sure that all this discovery goes through. Um, we've got to make sure that all the everything everything has to be lined up before the 16th. And I have a feeling on the 16th at this conference status hearing, we're going to get a lot more clarification. I would think as we go along, there'll be a lot of developments from the legal side. The factual investigation will go on. I, wouldn't be surprised, a lot more filings. But I do think, knowing Justice Toll, I feel like on, on the 16th, there's going to be some real ground rules set. We'll have an idea what to expect. And I do think the setting aside of three days, that tells me it's a fairly involved situation. And, uh, and she wants to make sure that, that before she gets into that courtroom on the 29th, everybody knows what's going to be taking place. I think that's the intent here, the way it's been set up uh, just time-wise and procedurally-wise. And it looks like, really, it looks like sort of a, I hate to put it this way, but a bit of a Murdoch reunion, right? There'll be all the media Absolutely. folks, reserve seating, mm -hmm. the pool camera, the uh, photographers, and uh, really, I suspect, continued national, international interest. Yeah, and they're expecting it as well. And mm -hmm. that, that's something this time, you know, we've, we've already been through an enormous amount of coverage on this. So, uh, yes, we have a lot uh, to be mm -hmm. coming um, mm -hmm. at the, the same time as when the murder trial yeah. was. It's yeah. I don't think the TV would be as good, don't you think, though? I don't think the TV would be probably a lot less interesting because probably a lot will happen yeah. in camera. Yeah. Yeah. And there'll be lots of legal arguments. But <laughs> yeah. there still should, should be some, if Clark Hill actually testifies, that would be if sort of must-see TV, fit. right? If that should be if she actually um, testifies yeah. and goes through cross-examination. During the trial, we had access to the in-camera hearings. Only the jury did not. That's, that's, that's right. Well, this, uh, this time the in-camera is going to mean something different, I think. I think the in-camera this time is going to mean that we're going to be in the chambers with the justice. Good point. And, and but to that point that um, uh, Sam Griswold is our brilliant photographer who is helping us with our podcast, who you might have just heard on there. Sam's asking, why aren't we going to be able to see the in-camera like we did last time? Um, the, the chambers, I am told that the, the testimony will be available to us after the fact. Transcript. It's not the transcripts, yes, or the, sorry. Mm -hmm. um, the transcripts should be available to us, and they shouldn't take that long. This is a three-day hearing. Mm -hmm, right. So we're hoping to be able to see and hear what they heard um, uh, back in those chambers. There's yeah, no reason why that should be sealed, right? Point. Yeah, the order did say that that would be available 
with the personal information. Actually, the defense was asked, but I, that was also remarkable to me because apparently during that phone conversation, they had a lot of agreement. So the defense was proposing these things that looks like the state was comfortable with, in camera with jurors and transcripts afterwards with personal information being redacted. Mm -hmm. Pretty good procedure, I think. Yeah, I think up. so too. I think they, they certainly see uh, what can happen to these personal lives when they are thrown into the center of these storms. Um, from all of the all, mm -hmm. all the media coverage, you just can't deny it. And you know, to that point, I think Clark Hill has an opportunity here to do what she said she wanted to do since September, which was to uh, clear her name to some degree. That's very true. So let's see. Yeah, she may have you know, really good answers to all these 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 things that have been and thrown she, at her. And she actually wrote about it in the emails. That's where I'm kind of mm -hmm. thinking about it, is that we saw in the emails Clark Hill went on about you know this wasn't I knit, I never did anything that that I was, you know, basically ashamed of. I, everything I did was on the up and up. So here's your opportunity right. um, to clear her name mm -hmm. as much as she possibly can, and we'll see if she takes that opportunity mm -hmm. Good point. or not. Yeah. So to be continued, of course, uh, January 16th, we will be into this uh, preliminary here, the status conference for for what's going to be happening on January 29th, which is the retrial hearing, the evidentiary hearing. Uh, we will be there, we'll be covering it. You'll have your team here um, on top of it. And of course, if anything happens between now and the 16th, which you know it will, um, we will certainly be covering that as well. So uh, for now, thanks so much for joining us on Unsolved South Carolina, The Murdoch's Murders, Money and Mystery with Charlie Conan, Drew Tripp, Sam Griswold. Thanks for the, the commentary at the end as well. And we will be back with you soon.